If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to that uh, text that Sam read for us. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 26. And you'll remember that this is actually the the third part of a three-part chapter. The the chapter began uh, with the sign, with the the miracle, the, the healing of a lame man that was sitting outside of the temple. Remember that Peter and, and John were going into the temple to pray. And, and when they, on their way in, they encountered this man who was sitting at the gate, a man who sat at the gate every day, begging alms because he was lame and, and he relied upon the, uh, the gifts of others to meet his daily needs. Peter and John had no money to give to him, but they said to him, Silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And immediately the man began walking and leaping and praising God. And as you can imagine, to see this man who had been sitting lame outside of the temple for year after year, to see him now walking and leaping and praising God, it it attracted a crowd. People wanted to see this amazing Sight. And so a crowd gathered. And Peter immediately began to explain to the crowd what had happened. He began to, to tell them that it was through Jesus Christ, the very man whom they had executed in Jerusalem only weeks before, but whom God had raised again from the dead. This Jesus, who was declared to be the, uh, the, the Lord and Christ by his victory over death, through faith in his name, this man had been made well. As, gospel, as Peter proclaimed that gospel to them, the, the people wanted to know, what then shall we do? And it is in response to that question that we come to this third part of the chapter where Peter calls those in the crowd to repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn back, he says. Now, last week, we, we looked more closely at sort of what comes before the repentance. We saw that, that if one is going to repent, they must first acknowledge the sinfulness of their sin. They they must acknowledge that when they sinned, they were acting in ignorance. They were acting contrary to knowledge. They were acting against wisdom. They They were going against God's truth. They were walking a path that leads to death, not to life. If we're going to repent, we must first acknowledge the sinfulness of our sins, and then we must turn from it. What Peter calls on them to do, turn back, turn from your sin back to God with the full purpose of honoring him as God, with the full purpose of obeying him as God. It's not that our obedience buys any blessing, but our obedience is the expression of our faith, it is the, the expression of our new belief, our renewed belief that he is indeed our God and our Lord and our King. And so if we are going to repent, we must acknowledge the sinfulness of our sin, we must turn back from it to God and to those who repent in this way, Peter says they will receive all of the blessings of repentance. And there are three that he lists, and I want us to look at those in some detail this morning. The first blessing is that if we will repent, our sins will be blotted out. He says, repent that your sins may be blotted out. Second, repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And third, repent that he may send the Christ appointed to you. These are the blessings that come to the one who repents and turns back to God. 
believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So let's look at these blessings in more detail. First, for the one who repents, their sins are blotted out. It's an it's a image of erasure. I read this week that, that the ink they used in the first century didn't have the same acid that the ink we use today. And so they didn't bite into the, the, the paper the way that, that ours does. And so when they were writing on the papyrus, there was actually a process of blotting, like erasing a, a whiteboard to, to clear it off. And this is exactly the image that Peter is using. He is imagining our debts that were recorded in God's divine ledger actually being blotted out, actually being erased. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 4, actually uh, quoting the psalm that Isaac used with the children, Psalm 32. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That is the blessing of forgiveness. Your sin will not be counted against you. Your sin is a debt. It, it requires recompense. It requires payment. But the one who is forgiven does not have to pay that price. It's been paid by another. Your sins will not be counted against you. Or he says it this way in Colossians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made you alive together with him, having the forgiveness of all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. The record of your debt with, with all of its legal demands. And, and remember, the wages of sin is death. The legal demand of sin is death. And yet all of that has been canceled. And how has it been canceled? Paul says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The image is of the, the plaque that is above the, the crucified victim, the plaque that, that states their crime. Jesus died not for his own sins, but for yours. It was your sins that were written upon the plaque. It was your sins that were nailed to the cross. It was your sins that were paid by his death. Never to be counted against you. That is the blessing of forgiveness. And we, of course, are, are familiar with this language. We, we speak of the forgiveness of sins all the time. But I do not want us to let our familiarity with this blessing to blind us to, to the wonder of this gospel truth. We need to, to be still. We need to go slow. We need to, to let this truth fill us and, and, and cause us to wonder. We, we need first to remember the, the, the true depth of our sin. We are guilty and justly condemned. It's what we confess when we join the church. You confess yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving of his wrath and, and displeasure. But while it is something we all confess, and it's something we sometimes struggle to believe. I told you the story before, the, the first class that I ever taught at Bonham Presbyterian Church. I, I did my internship at Bonham when I was in, in seminary. And the first class they gave me to teach was a, a middle school class of about 65 kids. And since I didn't know these kids and I was new to the church, I just wanted to kind of start with the basics of the gospel. And so, so I was going through the gospel that very first class and I asked the students, I said, how many of you have sinned? And every hand in the class went up. That's pretty typical, actually. To err is human. We're, we're good at confessing that we're not perfect. We're, we're good at confessing that we are sinners. But then I asked them, I said, well, how many of you have sinned so badly that you deserve to be damned to hell forever? 
And every hand but one went down. We're like, whoa, that's not me. I haven't done anything like that. I've never done anything that bad. And at some level, we know that's not right, but that resonates with our hearts. We wonder if we've really ever done anything that bad. We need to remember what the scriptures say about our sin. We need to remember how Paul describes us apart from Christ. He, he says that apart from Christ, we are his enemies. It's not just that, that we are enemies of God and we are hostile towards him. We are, of course. Paul says that in, in Colossians chapter 1. He says we are hostile in mind towards God, but God is also hostile towards us because we are rebels against his kingdom. We are, we are enemies of his anointed one. We, we have, have set ourselves against his kingdom and he is now against us. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that in our sin we are objects of his wrath. And because we are objects of his wrath, he goes on to say that we are without hope in this world. That is the reality of our condition because that is the reality of all men apart from Christ. In our sins, we are enemies of God justly condemned. We are objects of wrath. And yet, now in Christ, we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. Because of what Christ has done for us. Because he was crucified for our sins and raised again for our justification. We are no longer regarded as sinners. We are no longer regarded as rebels. We are no longer seen as enemies of the king. But now in Christ we are beloved sons and heirs of the kingdom. And we need to let this truth dwell in us richly. We need to pause and, and, and set our minds here. We need to meditate upon these glorious truths. Because the truth is we struggle to believe them. Ask yourself, how do you think God views you today? I know that there are some who, who presumptuously believe that God is good with them because they think they are pretty good. And those people, of course, they, they need to, to have their eyes open to the true depth of their sin. But I know also that there are many in our churches who struggle to believe that God could ever forgive them. There are many in our churches who, who, who struggle to believe that God could ever regard them as one of his peculiar people, as his prized possession. What they've done is just too much. They, they see the, the heinousness of their sin. They see the, the harm that it has caused. And they believe that they must somehow make atonement for it themselves before God could really forgive them, before God could really receive them. Maybe you've been there. You see the, the damage that your, son, your sins have done in your marriage. You see the damage that the, your sins have done in your, your family or to your friendships or, or at work or uh, wherever. You see the, the harm that your sins have, have done and you think, I must do something. I need to do something to make up for what I have done. 
before God could possibly forgive me. And if that is where you are this morning, you need to hear afresh the good news of the gospel. The good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The good news is not that your sins are not as bad as you think they are. That is the world's way to peace, and it is a dead end. Your sins are probably worse than you even imagined. As bad as you think what you have done is, it's probably worse. You have done more harm. You have done more damage than you even know. And yet, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead says that same resurrection power is now available to cancel the record of debt that stands against you. Jesus Christ gave his life as the ransom price of your redemption. He gave his blood that your sins might be forgiven. By his blood you can be washed white as snow. Yes, your sins are worse than you think they are, but his grace is far greater than you ever dared hope. His grace is greater than all your sins. In Christ, your sins will not be counted against you. In Christ, your guilt can be removed as far as east from west. In Christ, you can be forgiven, justified, reconciled, made an heir of the kingdom. Not because your sins are not a big deal. But because Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross, that his people, that all who believe in him, might not perish, but have eternal life. There is forgiveness through his blood. That is the good news of the gospel. And we need to soak in it. We need to let it dwell in us richly. We cannot pass over it quickly because we know it so well. We don't know it so well. And we need to believe it afresh every morning. But as grand as, and as great as this forgiveness is, it is not the full story. Peter goes on to mention another blessing here. Not only are we forgiven, not only will our sins be blotted out, but through repentance, times of refreshing will come. John Stott calls this the, the positive counterpoint to forgiveness. Previously, under, under our sins, we were under God's curse. He was against us. But now, through the forgiveness of our sins, it's not just that we're, we're back to zero. It's not just that we are back to some neutral position. Now, through the forgiveness of our sins, he is for us. Before, we were under curse. But now, we know his full blessing. We've not only been forgiven, we have been reconciled. We have been brought back into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it is in that new relationship that we find refreshing. You see, you were created for that relationship. You were, you were created to find your rest in Him. You were created by God and you were created for God. And when you are restored to Him... When you are reconciled to him as a child, you are restored to life the way that it is supposed to be. You see, when we sin, we sin in ignorance. We, we talked about that last Sunday. When we sin, we, we are going against knowledge. We are going against truth. But now, 
We are restored to life as it is supposed to be. And in that new life, we find refreshment. First, we, we find the refreshment of, of purpose. You see, we were created by a purposeful God. History is not just an endless cycle of the same over and over and, and over again. But it is a story. It is an unfolding narrative that is going somewhere. God has a purpose for history. And because we are made in His image, we long to have a part to play in the accomplishment of that purpose. We, we long to, to move the story towards that goal. But in the reality of our everyday lives, we, we struggle to connect to that purpose because we are cut off from God. Figure out what the author of Ecclesiastes said. He says, under the sun, from our finite, limited perspective, life seems like nothing more than a chasing after the wind. Remember what he says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all his toil under the sun? Have you ever been there? Have you ever asked that question? It's not just high school students who ask, why do I have to learn this? It's not just high school students who say, what's the point? We all ask that. We all want to know, what is this all about? Why do I have to do this? Why, why does life seem like pushing a rock up a hill over and over again, day after day, with nothing accomplished? Why do I always seem like I'm spinning my wheels? Why does all of life seem like a chasing after the wind? It seems that way because you are not big enough to satisfy the desires of your own heart. You are not big enough to, to create meaning for yourself. You were created to be a servant of the everlasting God. You were created to serve his everlasting purposes. You were created to find your, your contentment and your satisfaction in doing his will. And so when you are cut off from him, you are cut off from purpose. And no matter how great your endeavors, they always leave you empty, hollow, cold. It's why people have midlife crisis. The things that they think are going to satisfy, the things that they think are going to fill them up, ultimately leave them empty. Because they were never meant to be the, the meaning of their life. When you repent and when you are reconciled to your Heavenly Father, you are restored to your purpose, the purpose for which you were created. You are restored to life as it is supposed to be. And now, all of a sudden, all the things that, that God gives you to do have purpose. You don't always see the big picture. You don't always understand what God is doing. But you know that what is done in the name of the Lord and for the purposes of His kingdom is not in vain. And therefore, through repentance, you are reconciled to your Father and you receive that refreshment of purpose. Now, what you do is not in vain. No matter how small it seems, no matter how monotonous it seems, these are the good works that the everlasting God gave you to do. Find joy in them and know that they serve His purposes. And His purposes are never a mere chasing after wind. But it's not only the, the refreshment of, of purpose that we find. It is also the, the refreshment of design. You see, there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to chase the right purposes. God has given us purpose, but not only has He given us a purpose, He's given us the way to pursue them. 
And when we lean on our own understanding, when we do what's right in our own eyes, we cut against the grain of reality as it is, as God made it to be. You see, when you deny God, and when you deny His Word, and when you reject His truth, you will inevitably shipwreck your soul on the rocks of reality. Reality is what you run into when you live according to a lie. Because God is the Creator, and this is His world. And if you are going to function in this world, you must function according to His design. But we don't do that when we're living as rebels. But when God reconciles us to himself, he reconciles us not only to our purpose, he reconciles us to the way life works. You see, the lie of sin is that if we will grasp life, if we will seek our own interest, if we will grasp what we want for ourselves, then we will have life. But in, in grasping, we actually cut ourselves off from life. The one who will save his life loses it. But the paradox of the gospel is the one who loses his life to serve Christ, finds true life indeed. He will receive 100 times as much in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, God restores us to the way life actually works. I've, I've often said that one of the hardest verses for me to believe is the, the verse that says it's better to give than to receive. I, I like to receive. I like to be served. But God says, no, give and, and serve. And in giving yourself away, you will find life. And we find that life only when we repent and turn from leaning on our own understanding and return to his righteousness and his wisdom. And we renounce the passions of our former ignorance and submit to God's wisdom for our lives. And when we do so, we find the refreshing that comes with living in harmony with God's creation as it is designed to be. And so when we repent, we receive forgiveness, we receive refreshing. There's also a third benefit here that Peter mentions. Not only are we forgiven, not only are we restored to life as it is supposed to be, but he also says that Christ will be sent to us. He says, repent that he may send the Christ appointed to you. Now, it seems to me that this is probably the, the most difficult of the three to interpret. We're, we're pretty sure we know what it means to have our sins forgiven. We're, we're fairly certain we know what it means to be refreshed. But what does it mean when he says that Christ will be sent to us? What is, what is Peter getting at there? When you, when you look at verse 21, it, it seems that he is talking about Jesus' second coming. Notice what he says. He says, uh, repent that he may send Christ appointed uh, for you, uh, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You see, uh, the, the scriptures, that, that, that narrative, that unfolding story tells us that there's coming a day when God will restore all things, when he will make all things new, when all things will be put back as they are supposed to be, when death and, and, and corruption and pollution and perversion will be no more. And that day comes at the end of the age when Christ returns bodily to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Peter here seems to be saying that, that when we repent, that day becomes for us. You see, the, the king's return at the end of the age is not automatically good news. 
it's not automatically good news for everyone. When, when Bridget returned to England, it wasn't good news for, for Prince John and his minions. The return of the king is not automatically good news. Re remember what the, the prophet Amos said to unrepentant Israel. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Why are you looking forward to that day? Why are you longing for the day of the Lord, he says. He says, For you... That day is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and met a bear. As if a man uh, escaped into his house and shut the door only to lean against the wall and be bitten by a snake. He said, for those who are unrepentant, for those who will not turn from their sin, the day of the Lord will be a day of gloom and destruction. For when the king comes, he comes to destroy evil. And those who are unrepentant in their sin will be wiped away with the wicked. And so that day is not automatically good, but when we repent, that day becomes for us a day of salvation. When we repent and are forgiven, when we repent and are justified, when we repent and are reconciled to the Father, we can now look forward to the coming of the King as the day of our salvation. As the day when we will be set free from the, from the futilities and, and frustrations of this life. And that day, all things will be made new, including us. And so when we repent, we are, we are given the, the hope that allows us to look forward to that day. And certainly, that's part of what Peter has in mind here. But I think he actually might have more than just that in mind here. Because remember the context. We are in Acts. We're in the book of the outpouring of the, the Holy Spirit. And remember how uh, um, Peter talked about the blessings of repentance at his sermon at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, he said, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit on center stage at this point in, in the book of Acts. It is the gift of the, the Spirit that is the hallmark of the, the blessings of the, the new covenant. And I think that's actually what Peter is talking about here. He says that Jesus will be sent to you. But Jesus himself spoke that way. Remember John chapter 15. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And how will he come? He will come to his disciples in the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter was there when Jesus said that. He knows that. He, he has it in his mind. And he now knows that for those who repent, Jesus will come to them in the person of the Holy Spirit whom Paul says is a guarantee of the inheritance that is ours at the coming of the end of the age. It's not that these ideas are in conflict with each other, but they, they build off one another. Peter is saying that, that when we repent, one of the blessings that we receive is the gift of the Spirit. Jesus is now with us in the person of the Spirit. It is by His power that we now live this new life that we have been set free to live. And it is by His power that we will be preserved in that life until the end, until we acquire full possession of the full inheritance that is ours in the coming kingdom of God. That is the wonder of what is ours through repentance. You see, through Repentance, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Through repentance, we receive the refreshing of restoration to life as it is supposed to be. And through repentance, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live that life now and will keep us in that life for all eternity until that day when Christ does return. 
to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. These are the blessings of forgiveness. These are the blessings of the gospel. These are the blessings that are held out to the one who repents. And we need to to soak in them. We need to meditate upon them. We cannot pass over these blessings too quickly for they are the foundation stones of our hope. The hope that will sustain you in the midst of this present evil age. See, in this present age, you will have trouble. In this present age, you will suffer. In this present evil age, you will groan. And it will sometimes seem like you are chasing after the wind. But with your eyes set on Jesus, you remember all that is yours. And the hope of the gospel means you do not lose heart. Because you know that whatever struggles you face in this life, they are slight and momentary. Compared to the eternal weight of glory that is yours in Christ Jesus. In him, the forgiveness of sins is yours. In him, refreshing is yours. In him, the spirit is yours. And by the Spirit's power, you will be kept until that day when you receive the full inheritance. And because these blessings are ours, through Jesus Christ, the the crucified and risen Savior, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And we ask, Father, that you would allow us to to know and to believe and to rest in these truths, that they might sustain us and that they might bring forth fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. I'll be this in Jesus' name. Amen.